0: This, what we're going to look at this morning, is we need to take the next step in love. We need to take the next step in love. And it's an interesting chapter to go to, to look at taking the next step in love. Genesis chapter 19, look at it with me. Verse 12. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and Whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, and the angels hastened, Lot saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth, and set him without the city. Heavenly Father, please help us as we study Your Word today. And Lord, I know that this message has been uh, a conviction to me. And Lord, it is my desire to love You and to serve You. And so, Father, I pray that as we communicate Your Word today, that You'll be here, that You'll help us, that Your Holy Spirit will confirm the things that are true and that You'll help us from communicating anything that's not true. Lord, we love You today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Kayla just sang it. What can we bring to the Lord? What does he need from us? Nothing. Nothing. You know, the only, thing that, the only gift that we can give to God is a holy life. That's what we can give him. And what I want you to see, first of all, in our text, if we're going to take this, understand this concept of taking the next step in love, is the reality of imperfect examples. The reality of imperfect examples. You know, when I look back at my own parents, um, I am so thankful... For a Christian mom and dad. I am so thankful for them. But as I look back, you know what I find? They didn't do everything right. They didn't do everything right. They were not perfect. They were imperfect examples. But do you know what I know about mom and dad? Their heart's desire was to love and serve the Lord. So when they did make a mistake, when they did do something that was wrong... All of those times I was punished for things that I would never have done. I don't think that ever happened. But, you know, whenever they might have done something that was wrong, maybe dad was in a bad mood someday or maybe mom was in a bad mood someday. One time we had a friend come over to the house and, uh, he ba- you know, he was one of the teenagers in the church and basically lived at our house. And so he just comes walking in and he sees my mom and he says, Hi, Mrs. Alter, what are you doing? She said, I'm getting ready to kill some kids. How many moms have ever been there? You know? You know that we're surrounded by imperfect examples, but if you're waiting for the perfect example, the only one that you have is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. But the Bible says that we have been given examples and end samples. The examples are those that have gone out, they're gone. The end samples are those who are around you, they're in, they're, they're living samples of what to do. We have those. But even those aren't perfect, are they? They're not perfect. We we need to understand the reality of imperfect examples. I like the way that Lot is described in the book of Amos. Will you go to the book of Amos with me? Amos chapter 4. Amos chapter 4. Never be embarrassed to use the table of contents. That's why it's there. Amos chapter 4. You know what's embarrassing is when you're preaching from a text and you can't find it. It's happened. Amos chapter 4, verse 11. Amos chapter 4 and verse 11. The Bible says, and I'll wait for everybody to get there, and if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one provided in the pews in front of you. You're going to want to have a Bible. Uh, That's our authority. Uh, Look at what it says. Verse 11. I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, And ye were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Plucked as a firebrand out of the burning. You know, when Lot was in the city, and the angels had come and said, We're going, God has told us to destroy this city. We've come to warn you, get out. Take as many people as you can and get out of the city because it was wicked. Now, how many of you understand that Sodom was a wicked city, right? It was wicked. Did Lot run out of the city? No. Did he crawl out of the city? No. Did he make his way out? No. God went down there and got him out. These angels laid hold on his hand and on his wife's hand and had to drag them out of the world. You know what's interesting? I believe that one day Jesus Christ is going to return. How many of you believe Jesus is coming back? Man, we're looking forward to that day. But when he returns in the rapture, I know that there are some people that are going to be, they're going up in the rapture, and if they could, they were going to grab onto that bass boat and try and hang on to it and take it up with them. Some people are so attached to this world that they're not going to want to go, and they're going to have to be dragged out. The Bible describes it as a brand plucked from the burning. Lot was brought out, not because he overcame, not because he lived a godly life, not because he endured faithfully to the end. Did Lot do any of those things? No. Why did God take him out? Because he was his. Because he belonged to God. It wasn't because of Lot that he was brought out. It was because Lot belonged to God. Now, I don't know about you, But that's helping me already today. Anybody here, you're enduring to the end. You've just about accomplished that state of sinless perfection. If you think so, ask your wife. Ask your kids. Uh, I, I, I said to a guy, I was talking to a guy one time that told me he hadn't sinned in three months. Now that he remembered the last one I thought was interesting. And I asked him, we were sitting at uh, the uh, student union at Oklahoma State University, and I I said to him, I said, did you pray before you sat down in that chair? He said, no. I said, well, the Bible says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And I messed up his whole theology, man. (laughs) And the thing that we don't understand is just how sinful we are. You understand that when we're doing good, we're sinning? we we are this this body this flesh is an affront to a holy and righteous god so when we start to think that we're being good enough to make it to heaven and do okay that we deserve to be taken out of this mess we don't have it right and that's where these imperfect examples we need to understand the reality of these imperfect examples now, see, I want to live a good life and serve God faithfully all my days. How many of you would agree with that? That you would like to, to live a godly life and serve faithfully all of my days. My desire to live a godly life, and I really do, I want to live a holy life. We were at the airport uh, LaGuardia yesterday. Laura's over buying a $7 drink, and I was, a, I was a, in, the, in a shop across the way. And I like cars. So I saw this car magazine there. I walked over and I'm looking up and then there's magazines. I'm saying, oh, my goodness. And I turned away right away. Why? I want to live a godly life. I want to be holy. Will that take me to heaven? Will will a desire to live a godly life keep me from the fires of an eternal hell? No. 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 That's where the reality of these imperfect examples and what the way that God deals with them is so valuable to me. What keeps me from the fires of hell is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. The reality of imperfect examples. Lot was one plucked out of the burning. Look at Zechariah. That's the second to the last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 3. Anybody wondering where the love comes in on this? We'll see. Zechariah chapter 3. Let's start reading in verse 1. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Here's another one that's plucked from the burning. Joshua the high priest here. Now look at what happens. In verse 4 he says, I have cleansed you from your iniquity. But look at him standing there in filthy garments. So here's a question. Should he... And don't answer, because you've probably not had a lot of time to think about this story. But I'm just going to ask a rhetorical question. Should he have been embarrassed for his filthy garments? And the answer is yes. Yes. But the problem that we have is we think we're going to stand before him clothed in something other than filthy garments. Remember, all of our righteousnesses are as... All of a sudden, that makes another connection, doesn't it? It makes another connection. The only righteousness that I have is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. I am a brand that's been plucked out of the fire. I don't deserve it. I'm not good. I'm not clean. I'm not pure. I'm not holy. I am a sinful man. And any of us are going to stand before God. It's only through the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? praise god for that um do you know that some the bible says that if you're born again how many of you you know for sure that you're saved you know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die the bible says that we will all stand before the judgment seat of christ and give an account for what we've done in the body now when it's talking about the body that doesn't mean your physical body because if you're saved you're not going to give an account for for your sin right There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. All of my sin has been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm clean. I'm free. I stand in Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? But I am going to give an account for what I've done in the body of Christ as a believer in the local church. I am going to give an account for that. And it's interesting that some believers at the judgment seat of Christ are going to be like a brand plucked from the burning. And they'll stand before the Lord only in dirty garments. Now, I don't want to stand before the Lord in dirty garments. I don't want to enter that judgment with nothing to bring before the Savior that died for me. Do you? No, no. And the simple fact of the matter is that we can, as Kayla was singing a few minutes ago, as we began we can present a holy life to the Lord. We know that because we've been commanded to. Be holy as I am holy. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we're supposed to put off the old man and put on the new man in righteousness and true holiness. So it is possible for a believer to live a holy life, to live a godly life. But does living a holy and a godly life take you to heaven does living a holy and a a, 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 does not living a holy and a godly life keep you from going to heaven and it's interesting how much quieter the answer always is when you ask that question even among people who believe in the eternal security of the believer why because we know we're sinners and it's so funny. I, I, pre, I try to preach the Word of God. We try to go through a text. This morning's message is a little different. But I generally try to go through a text of the Bible. And whenever you go through a text of the Bible, the Bible is going to remind us that we're sinners, right? It's going to remind us. But that's one of those things that most of us probably don't need to be reminded of that because we carry that baggage, that weight around all the time. Carol calls it good old Baptist guilt, <laughs> amen so here's the deal when i stand before god when i stand before the lord jesus christ i will be positionally clean because i've been saved isn't that right but practically how am i going to stand before him will i be stand will i stand before him clothed in rags filthy with nothing to offer if i did Praise God that I'm there at all. Amen. Man, you've got to understand that your cleanness doesn't get you to God, your uncleanness doesn't keep you from God. Only Jesus Christ can get you there. Only Jesus Christ can. Um, Look at Jude 22. Jude 22. I was going to preach something different this morning. Uh, several months ago, I, I listened to a message and then uh, by James Knox, pastor in Florida, and then I was reading his commentary on Genesis, and I was going to bring a message on our standing and our state this morning. But as I was, uh, as I was doing some work, this just jumped out at me, and so we'll do that standing and state another time. Um, and I'll have you know I'm not ashamed to preach someone else's sermons. <laughs> if it's good stuff, I'm going to tell you it. Amen. It's good. I try not to do that all the time. Otherwise, you know, you probably wouldn't be paying me for anything. But uh, this is such an amazing passage of Scripture, tying it in with where we've been. The book of Jude, verse 22. And of some... Have compassion, making a difference. It's a good verse, isn't it? We need to have compassion, making a difference in their lives. Now look at this. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. You know, there are some people that just through a compassionate believer, they will hear the gospel and come to the Lord Jesus Christ through compassion. So it's important to have compassion, isn't it? There are other people that need to be scared. They need to be scared. They need to understand that the way they're going is going to take them to a literal burning hell that is full of fire, that the Bible says is full of worms, that hell is in the man and the man is in hell. It is a horrible place of darkness and falling and screaming and terror for eternity, separated from God. And I'll tell you what, we live in a day where things don't really scare us because you have these movies. There's a movie out, it's called Legion, and it's about fallen angels. There's all kinds of things that we see, and we have these images that are supposed to scare us, and it's fun to be scared. Well, those movies aren't real. Hell is real. And some, sometimes people, they have this intellectual idea that I'm okay. I hope you understand that you are not okay. You know what I'm trying to do right now? I'm trying to scare you. I want to pluck you from hell as a burning brand, pluck you out of the fire. And we've all, we all know that picture. We can picture a home that's burning or a, an apartment building that's burning. And the firemen running in and with flames all around and maybe even flames on a blanket carrying someone out of the fire. Or I like the analogy of someone swinging over hell on a banana peel. I'm just glad they made it. Amen. But look at what we are supposed to do. Verse 22. Or verse 23. And others save with fear pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. See, we as believers, we're supposed to be compassionate to those that are in the world and are lost. Amen? But we are supposed to hate the accoutrements of evil. We are supposed to hate the garments spotted by the flesh. You know, people don't like this, hate the sin and love the Savior. How many of you have ever heard that, or love the sinner? Hate the sin, love the sinner. How many of you have ever heard that saying, mocked? I have. But that's a, isn't that just what it says? We're supposed to hate the sin. The garment spotted by the world. We have been plucked from the fire. We need to be pulling other people by the fire. And you know what this tells us? Not all brands plucked from the fire hate the garment spotted by the flesh. Does that mean they can't go to heaven? Look at the next verse. Verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. Uh, What keeps you from falling? Keeping your garments clean? What keeps you from falling? Verse 24. Just said it. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that keeps you from falling. Remember what Paul said. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I want you to know. uh, Recently, there are people that, that, that will not come to Grace Baptist Church because we believe once saved, always saved. Now, do we believe once saved, always saved? We sure do. We sure do. Why? Because salvation is completely and only of God. Jesus Christ said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He was lifted up on the cross and he has drawn every person in the world to himself for salvation. The Bible says that it is God the Father that draws us to him. The Bible says that it is Jesus Christ's sacrifice his blood that washes away our sin. The Bible says that it is God that saves us and changes us. It's God, the Holy Spirit that places us into Christ's very body. Every bit of that, every bit of it is completely the work of almighty God. You don't do anything for your salvation. You receive a gift. It's completely of God. And the Apostle Paul said it this way, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should believe a lie? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Paul says that is a foolish thing to believe. And yet, those of us who believe in the eternal security of the believer, because of our struggles with sin in our lives, we lose faith in our ability to serve God. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? We need to understand that it is possible to live a holy life. But that doesn't get you to heaven. And it doesn't keep you from heaven. So look at the reality of imperfect uh, examples. But number two, I want you to see the reality of imperfect examples in the church. In the church. How many of you have heard somebody say, I won't go to that church, there's hypocrites there. Pick, find, find a church that doesn't have hypocrites it, it, it's so funny that there's an i love this illustration in it during i think it was world war ii there was a submarine that was going to go down and they found a way to connect another submarine to it and the guys were able to climb up out of the one submarine and be saved can you imagine somebody in the bottom submarine saying, i'm not going up there there's a tax cheat in there how many of you think that might be kind of dumb yeah that's the that's the whole idea. Well, I'm not, I'm not gonna get saved. I'm not gonna I, I know a guy that's saved, and you've got to see the way he treats his wife. Now, should that guy treat his wife better? I'm not going to hell for him. The reality of imperfect examples in the church, check this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. First Corinthians chapter 5. This is a wild verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. How'd you like to have this testimony for your church? First Corinthians chapter five, verse one. It is commonly reported, or it is reported commonly, that there is fornication among you. And such fornication is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So here, this is a church. And this is a church. Look at the kind of church that's being addressed. First Corinthians chapter one. Just so you're not confused. 1 Corinthians 1 1 Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, that's who was with him, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. This is Christians. This is saved people who have immorality in the church. That is worse than what could be said about unsaved people. Unsaved people know it's wrong to have an immoral relationship with your father's wife. Yeah, yeah, we understand that, right? The world even understands that. That was going on in this church. In this church. This man is a professing Christian in the church at Corinth. But he's living a life of immorality. Now look at what Paul says to do. Verse 2. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed, might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. Here's to every liberal Christian's favorite verse Judge not, lest you be judged. No, it's don't judge falsely. The biblical response is we are supposed to judge so that we won't be judged. Don't ever miss that. The Bible says that we're supposed to judge all things, supposed to prove all things. We're not supposed to judge wrongly. We're supposed to judge rightly. The Apostle Paul clearly judged that this was wrong. Now, how many of you think that was a hard call? No, this one was easy. All right, now look at verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my Spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So here's what he tells him to do: this guy, show him the door. Get him out of here. Get. Don't let somebody that behaves that way be in your church. Well, isn't the church where sinners belong? We're on touchy ground here, aren't we? Well, sinners do belong here. But when you have a member of the church who knows better, behaving that way, claiming the name of Jesus Christ, they're born again and they know better, they're known to be a part of that church, and they're behaving that way, and it's commonly known, that's bringing reproach on the name of Christ, that will stop people from coming to to the Lord. And they are supposed to be kicked out of the church and turned over to Satan for the destruction of their body. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means if he won't repent and get right with God, you kick him out of the church so there's no godly influence around him, and he can receive in his body the result of that kind of lifestyle, which is destruction. How I many of you know that sin destroys people? Sin especially destroys saved people. But look at what the verse says. This is what, this is what freaks people out. Who don't believe in eternal security. They don't know what to do with this. Verse 5. To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What's the day of the Lord Jesus? That's when he returns. So here's a guy that's saved. That's living like an animal. Who won't repent. You kick him out of the church. You turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his body. So that his soul can be saved. He's saved. If you want to live after the flesh, you can live after the flesh. If he's saved, he's saved. How many of you have ever heard someone say this? I just can't believe that a person can be saved and then live any way they want to. How many of you ever heard somebody say that? I just can't believe that. I just can't believe that. Well, I don't care whether you believe it or not. Here's a guy having a relationship with his father's wife. How many of you think that's bad? There's like three of you. I think I need to preach a sermon on why that's bad. Okay, we understand that that's bad, right? The Bible says he's saved. Now, there's probably somebody out there going, man, I'm okay. I'm not doing that. Now, look. So, number one, The reality of imperfect examples. Number two, the reality of imperfect examples in the church. Number three, the reality of imperfect examples being made perfect. This is cool. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I recently preached at a church that is very legalistic. You know, um, you name it, it's wrong. You know what I mean? Uh, they they know sins that God doesn't know. And uh, I, I felt bad for these kids. I was preaching to kids in a school. And I told them. I, I preached on the way of Cain. Remember the way of Cain? The way of Cain is bringing the works of your hands to justify yourself before a righteous and holy God. Um, Remember, the way of Cain is misunderstood. We think that, that Cain was judged because he killed Abel. No, Cain was rejected before he killed Abel because he brought the wrong sacrifice. Abel's sacrifice was accepted because it was in faith. So there's a right way, which is faith. There's a wrong way, which is the works of your hands. And I told them, I told these kids, I said, I don't care how you wear your hair. Don't care what clothes you wear. Don't care. Don't care what music you listen to. I don't care. Doesn't matter. When we're talking about salvation. Everybody say amen? Amen. Now for people that are stuck in legalism, here's what they do when they hear something like that. I'm serious, man. It puts them in convulsions. They're freaking out. How many of you know somebody that's like that? Seriously. There's somebody in this church whose family thinks she's not saved because she wears makeup. Well, I'm just saying if a barn needs paint, paint it. Amen? (laughs) And so I told these kids this. Not the person whose family... Okay, now listen. <laughs> listen. The people in that school, they were with me. And they really wanted me to say, but it is important that you wear your hair right and you wear your clothes right and you listen to the right music. Not... If you think that has anything to do with whether or not you go to heaven or with whether or not you lose your salvation, it has nothing to do with it. This is tough. This is tough. The reality of imperfect examples being made perfect. Look what the Bible says in Philippians 1. Verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. When you were saved, and this is where we need to understand what was going on with this guy in Corinth. Look at what the text says. Now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work, Where? Would you mark that in you? We'll perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. There's a really important verse that'll help you understand this. That which is born of flesh is. That which is born of spirit is spirit. The flesh, the Bible says, will die. The spirit is eternal, it's everlasting. So here's this guy at the church in Corinth. Remember, 1 Corinthians 5, 1. It describes this man. And then the Bible says in verse 4 or 5 that we're going to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the body so that his soul, his spirit can be saved when the Lord comes. Why is that? Because the Lord's going to do the work in him. We don't do the work in us. We don't sanctify ourselves. No. Now we we do willingly yield things to the Holy Spirit, right? We do that. But it's God that performs the change in us, not us. So that's important. The flesh will die, but the spirit will live. I might fail, but Jesus Christ is never going to fail. He is going to complete it. Isn't that what the text says? Amen. So that's the reality of imperfect examples being made perfect. But what about the reality of imperfect examples being made perfect forever? And people just have a hard time with that. They have a hard time with it. Here's the objection. And I know we've all heard it. If I believed that I could live any way I want to and still get to heaven, what's to keep me from sinning? How many of you have ever heard something like that? And honestly, it's a pretty good question, right? James Knox, he, he asked this question in a message that I heard. Listen to the, the question that he asked back. And he's going to come and preach for us next March. I want you to meet him. He's probably the only guy smarter than me that I know. Um, I told Dr. Edwards, I need to get my doctorate because someone as smart as me ought to have one. He, he he liked that. If you're a guest here, don't listen to anything that I say like that. Um. Here's his, here's his response. If you believed that if you sinned, you would lose your salvation, what's to keep you from sinning? How many of you know people that belong to, say, a Nazarene church or a, a, you know, one, a church that believes that you can lose your salvation, some of the Methodist churches, that kind of thing, uh, the Free Will Baptist Church? How many of you know people that belong to those churches who still sin? It doesn't stop you from sinning. It doesn't. Just because you put on a uniform that matches you with the church where you go, you're still sinning in other ways. Amen? Still, that doesn't keep you from sinning. You're going to do what you want to do no matter what the Bible says. And here's where we need to take the next step in love. So then what's going to stop us from sinning? What's going to help us present ourselves holy? Before our God. The only thing that will change your heart motivation. Is a genuine love for your Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only thing that it's going to. You might do what somebody tells you to do for a little while. But eventually. That's going to end. Amen. When you genuinely love the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you change the way that you live. If you don't love Him from the depths of your heart, if He is not the most dear and precious thing to you in all this universe, there's no doctrine, there's no threat, no fear, no sword hanging over your head that will keep you from sinning against Him. And if you love the Lord with all your strength and heart and soul and mind, there's no doctrine, persuasion, no false teaching, no libertine who can convince you to go out and sin. Against the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a blessing? That's what it's about. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, ultimately, there there are penalties to certain sins that may keep you from doing that. You know, you might lose your job. You might lose your practice. You might lose your position. I might lose my job as a pastor. But ultimately, those things aren't going to keep you right. Ultimately, it is love for the precious Savior that will keep you right. That's it. That's the only thing. When you leave here today, you're going to do what you want to do. Doesn't matter how great a preacher I am. I I can bring you to a point of decision, possibly through oration. But I can't make you do anything. The only thing that is going to cause you to believe God or to reject God is your love for the Lord Jesus Christ, your belief in him. Um, The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, it says, Whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. That's just what God says. Your eternal life is eternal. Now, do you know what I can do now? Do you know what I can do now? that can make me more saved. What can I do that'll make me more saved? Well, what can I do that'll make me less saved? Do you really believe that? Praise his holy name. So what's the motive for doing right then? When you take the next step in love. We need to love him. Remember what Jesus said? If you love me, keep my commandments. Fear of punishment is not going to stop you. You know why? Because you're going to be chastened in this life, but eternally you're going to be with Him. Your motivation for doing right is love for Him. If that kind of love, salvation, and security makes you want to go out and sin against Him, I can't help you. But I do know. That I want to serve Him with my life. I want to serve Him because I love Him. Um, I grew up in a system that wasn't, you know, fully legalistic, but there was legalistic components to it. And you know, I would, I would vacillate back and forth between behaviors because people were convincing me that those behaviors were sinful um, when they clearly weren't. They clearly weren't. And it was tough to really know God in a situation like that. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some of you don't, but how many of you know what I'm talking about? You know what I want to do now? I don't want to do everything I can get away with. I want to serve and live a life that is honoring and pleasing to the Savior that died died for me. I want that to be my motivation for holiness. Not because the deacons might find out. You know what I mean? Amen. But I will tell you this. If I find out you're doing something you're not supposed to do, we will kick you out of here. Amen, men? Isn't that right? You'll get right with God or you'll be gone. Why? Because we love you too much to let you stay in your sin. We love you too much. We love your family too much. We love the people around you too much. But you not doing that stuff, that's not going to get you to heaven sooner. That's not going to keep you from heaven. The only thing that gets you to heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ so here's what we need to do we just need to take the next step in love so here's what i want to ask you here's our invitation question tonight tonight this morning i didn't preach that long here's our invitation question this morning do you really love jesus christ more love to thee more love to thee. remember kayla's song what do i have to give him just i can just sing a song of praise i can bring a a holy and a godly life to you as a gift to the one i love Do you really love the Lord Jesus Christ that much? Do you really love him that much today? Has your Christian life become a drudgery because of the work that you do for him? Or do you really love him? Dear Heavenly Father, help us love you today.